Good evening, everyone. I'm honestly really excited to be speaking. So um, just recently, I kind of had the desire and like called to full-time ministry. And I bumped into Parker McColdrick this past week at Faith, and he gave me some really encouraging words as I start to prepare messages. He told me that normally the first like 100 are rough. So just bear with me. I'm still learning how to put or sermons together, all of that. So um, I had a message prepared, and then for some reason today was just like, I don't know, I'm not vibing with this, so I read it everything. So um, the passage I'm going to be focusing on is Colossians 2, 13 and 14, and then I'm going to kind of jump around a lot, and we're going to survey just forgiveness, forgiveness in the Old Testament, and then transition to the New Testament and looking at the redeeming work of Christ. Um, so if you just want to open up to Colossians 2, 13 and 14, I'm going to start by reading that, um, and then we'll just work through um, definition of forgiveness um, and some just other aspects of forgiveness. So uh, Colossians 2, 13 through 14 says this, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So first, simply just to define forgiveness. It is this. It is the cancellation of sin. It is the act of God taking man's sin and completely removing it. It's removing both the consequences and the sin itself. It's the process of cleansing and blotting out unrighteousness. Forgiveness has been available since the fall of man, but human's re responsibility in receiving that forgiveness has changed. So now we're gonna transition and look at forgiveness in the Old Testament. Um, so forgiveness in the Old Testament, the reception of forgiveness was available, but it had strict requirements of man. Forgiveness was through sacrifice. Um, this is evident in the patriarchal age. So that's the time from Adam to Moses. And there's many examples of sacrifice in that time period. Um, I'm going to quickly allude to Genesis 3.21. So both Brennan and Parker were in Genesis as well. But um, in Genesis 3.21, God takes the first animal and sacrifices that animal to clothe Adam and Eve after they had sinned. And this is simply imagery of what Christ is going to do later on in the New Testament. So this imagery here of Christ killing this animal and making clothes out of it is covering Adam and, Adam and Eve's sin. Um, so he does that to cover their sin. In the Old Testament, when man had sinned, offerings were the only way to cleanse them of their offense. In, Levit in Leviticus 4, the Lord speaks to Moses and tells him how he is to show Israel what to do after um, sin has taken place. So Le Leviticus 4, 1 through 3 says this, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel. If anyone sins unintentionally in any of the Lord's commandments about things not to be done and does any one of them, it if, if it is the priest who sins, thus bringing guilt on people, then he shall offer the sin that he has committed, a bull offering, or a bull from the herd without blemish for the Lord for a sin offering. So sin offerings were a temporary removal of sin. Later in Leviticus 4, verse 35, it says this, the priest shall make an atonement for him and the sin which he has committed. So the forgiveness of sin in the Old Testament came through blood sacrifices. All right, I just want you guys to stop and think of this. 
Imagine Stan being our high priest and every time we sin, we have to go to Stan and confess it and be like, this is what I did. Can you give an, a sacrifice for me to atone for my sin? Can you imagine the burden that would come along with that? The sin had to be paid for through a blood sacrifice of an animal. And in order to do that, you literally had to go to the priest, confess it, and then have them sac make that sacrifice for you. I'm not positive, but I can't say that I'd be a follower of God today if that's what I had to do every time I sin. I can't say that I would have the humility to go before someone else, confess it, and ask them to make a sacrifice for me. And then later on, we're gonna see Christ's sacrifice and how it completely covered sin. That is what took away the need for those animal sacrifices um, and those sacrifices of blood. So now I just wanna simply look at um, man's condition prior to redemption. Um, so now that we've defined forgiveness, we're gonna transition to the redeeming work of Christ. Uh, man's condition can be summed up as this, prior to redemption. A slave descendant spiritually dead. I'm not positive of the amount of times in the New Testament it refers to man as a slave to sin and spiritually dead, but it's a lot. Paul uses that in almost every single one of his letters. Repeatedly, man is referred to as a slave to sin and dead to his sin. Simply, to be a slave to sin is this. It's to be under its authority. When you are enslaved to sin, you are under complete submission to its destructive power. I just lost my spot. Prior to redemption, sin rules over every area of an individual's life, and they are in bondage to that sin. Without the redeeming work of Christ, um, man is so entangled to sin that he is refer referred to as dead in it. When you think of death, what do you think of? I think of permanency, something that is finalized. It's definite. There is no escape from that. So to be dead in your sin is to be so firmly gripped by it that you can't get away from it. It is finalized. You are stuck in that. But then we see the result of redemption. So without Christ, man is left hopeless. He's left in a hopeless state, dead to his sin. But the sacrifice of a perfect being, Christ, um, and his, has offered us redemption and the permanent removal of sin. So now I just want us to look at a few of the results of redemption. First is the freedom from sin. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says this, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Once redeemed, once in Christ, there is freedom from sin. There's the ability to respond in righteousness. It's available through the Holy Spirit. So there's first off that freedom from sin. You are no longer enslaved to that through the redeeming work of Christ. Through his sacrifice on the cross, he paved a way for us to be free. He paved a way for us to be completely freed from our sins. Um, the second is life in Christ. 1 John 5, 11, 12 says this. This is the testimony that God gave us, eternal life. And this life is in his son. Whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. The redeeming work of Christ provided a way to life in Christ. Without Christ, we are viewed as spiritually dead in our sin. There, like I said, death is normally viewed as something that's finalized. You wouldn't think there's any way out of that. But through Christ's death, he gave us a way to experience that spiritual life in him. 
Um, and then the last thing is just forgiveness. Unlike the blood offerings in the Old Testament, Christ's sacrifice permanently paid for the debt of sin. And the Old Testament, their sacrifices were temporary. Like I said, they had to go back over and over again to have their sins paid for. But Christ's death, Christ's resurrection permanently paid for sin. It completely stripped away the guilt, the consequences, all of that from sin. So now I just wanna go back to Colossians 2.13 and just key in on the phrase, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. It not only indicates God's display of forgiveness, but it indicates the permanent placement of forgiveness. It says they're nailing it to the cross. It's left there. Christ's work on the cross completed it. Our sin has been, like it says here, set aside. He no longer views us as the wicked beings we are. He views us as righteous in him through Christ's work on the cross.